Listeners be advised. The Holiloquy podcast discuss matters related to the human experience and many that are sexual in nature. Due to this, some conversations may surround triggering topics such as sexual violence, self-harm, abuse, and much more. Please be advised, a list of crisis and psychological resources will be available in the show notes of this episode. With that said, let's get started with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention please as we go through the following safety instructions. In the event that there is a loss of cabin pressure, oxygen mask will drop from the overhead. Place the mask over your nose and mouth. Breathe normally as oxygen is flowing even if the mask is not Be sure to adjust your own mask before helping others. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Holiloquy Podcast, where we step out and speak on sexuality. This is your favorite host, Vernon T. Scott, also known as Slater Jackson, and for you freaky motherfuckers out there, Sebastian Adams. On today's episode, we will be talking about, well, it's going to be a mix of two topics, preferences, as well as a conversation about no fats, no films, no old people. And I have the pleasure of being in the presence of a very beautiful spirit by the name of Jennifer Moore. How are you doing today? I am doing well. I actually just woke up from a nap. Yes, nap. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I am much more refreshed than I was before. Hey, I if you, if you hear a little bit of like happy moaning next to me, that is my pug. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just know yeah. after we're done today, I am definitely going to take a nap. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I cannot say nap because I feel like it's going to be a good 10 hours. Like, um, this recent holiday has had me extremely tired. <laughs> I feel yeah, I totally feel yeah, Yeah, yeah. Whether it's the transportation, it's the being around a whole bunch of people, eating foods you're not used to eating, all that stuff, for exactly. sure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I've I've come across way too many uh, people. It's a mix of all kinds of energies. And I'm just like, oh, let it all go. Get out of my system. I just want mm-hmm. to be me. <laughs> but before we even get into the conversation, Jennifer, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners out there? Um, oh, by the way, so you all know she is an empath. So we love it. (laughs) So Jennifer, who are you? Well, as you said, I am an empath. And I'm such an empath that I spent a good like 30 years of my life struggling with being highly sensitive and picking up all the thoughts, feelings and energy and sensations that are coming from the world around me. And that has turned me into an author of a actually now award-winning Amazon bestseller, Empathic Mastery, which is a five-step system to go from emotional hot best to thriving success. And you can get that over on Amazon and other kinds of book platforms. And so I'm an author and I'm also a 
mentor for EFT International, which if you're not familiar with EFT, that stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques, which really has been truly life-changing for me. Some people also know it as tapping. And when I'm not tapping or writing, I am either hanging out with my pug, wandering around in the garden, hanging out with my husband. We live in Maine, which is a beautiful, beautiful place. We live out in the country, in, uh, but not too far from the city and just surrounded by pines and bees and flowers and all kinds of other stuff. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. Oh, my God. It is. It's really wonderful here. Except <laughs> we get snow. Like, seriously, we get snow. Mm. See, I love the sight of snow. I love the cold weather. But the thing is, because I lived in Philly for a short period of time, uh, I enjoyed, you know, those days you can go out playing the snow a little bit, but I also did not enjoy those days where you actually had to walk in the snow because guess what? School is not canceled. <laughs> no, school is not canceled. And the other thing that I am not a huge fan of is shoveling myself out of the snow. Like if I didn't have to drive in it and I didn't have to shovel it, then I, I think I agree with you. It's really, really beautiful. And especially there is nothing like the next day after an ice storm when the skies are clear blue and the sun is like brighter than ever and everything glistens like diamonds. And it is just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And we get those like mm, not every single year, but every couple of years we'll have one of those like spectacular ice storms that does total damage to trees and everything else and knocks our power out for like a week <laughs> but it's beautiful so look you better paint a good picture i feel like mm -hmm. um the listeners right now are just like in that space they're just like why am i at peace <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well and i was visualizing as i was describing it i was visualizing this time where i was in my car after an ice storm and i just happened to be driving down a road that i'd never seen before and all all of a sudden it was just like it was truly just spectacular it was so beautiful and everything was like sparkling with light and diamonds of of just ice and it was it really was just gorgeous so uh it's a beautiful place here and our summers are unrivaled like they're they are just the most beautiful summers you could possibly imagine Oh my gosh. So yeah. everyone take a trip to Maine at least once. Well, actually twice in the summer as well as in the winter, because look, that's, that sounds like a sight to see and I'm okay mm -hmm. with being trapped in a snowstorm. Let's go ahead and get it started up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Only for a day though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think um, the audience knows who you are, have a good feeling. They're feeling great. I'm feeling phenomenal now. You woke me up. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm still taking that nap. Yeah, so considering that both of us are going to be beforehand. So to get into the conversation, I know one of the things that we did talk about within our intake meeting was how our preferences shift over time. Mm -hmm. um, for yourself, what was what were some of the things that you've noticed that you either became more attracted to or like less as you aged? Um, because look, we're we're not the same person that we were three years ago. We're probably not even the same person we were yesterday. Because come on. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and when you start talking about being female and going through the big M and how much like your hormones really, really shift things and, you know, what was as well as just pragmatism, you know, so what comes <laughs> to my mind actually is one of the very, like when I was younger, I absolutely loved like, like loved lingerie and particularly like, you know, like corsets and lacy stuff and just really like, like something that made me look like I was like, you know, um, working in a brothel in New Orleans and then in the, in the at the turn of the last century. Like I was so into that. And then I got to a point where as I started to get older and I actually could afford to purchase more of it, I discovered that it's not comfortable. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. And mm -hmm. Go on, go on. Was it because it was no longer a luxury uh, item that it just lost its jazz? I think there's a couple things. One is that I, um, so being an empath and being kind of of a magical orientation, I do recall other lifetimes. And um, I will just say that I have spent a number of them working in the in like the temples and the brothels in sort of the sex industry. And so before I had done a lot of work on sort of resolving this, I think my attraction to the clothing was kind of almost like that last vestiges of previous lives. And as I healed that relationship and some of the stuff that I experienced in those lives, I think that it had less of a hold. I don't think it was, to my awareness, I don't think it was as much about the preciousness of it in terms of the cost of the clothing, as much as it really was like, if you've ever tried on a corset, they are freaking uncomfortable. Like they bind you in all of the wrong places. And I know that there's probably somebody who's really, really into fetish wear who's listening to this right now who might be like, you just never got a good corset fitting. <laughs> and I will probably be inclined to agree that I never, I mean, I, I always was buying stuff that was off the rack. I was never buying anything that was fitted specifically for me. But I also trained and started studying breath work and being able to take a really deep full breath became a lot more attractive to me and became way more of a preference than necessarily, um, you know, wearing stuff that looked beautiful, but felt really tight and binding and uncomfortable. So I think that sort of the, you know, even like high heels, like when I was younger, I would, I would wear high heels. Like I thought nothing of wearing like stilettos and everything. I going to a wedding on a booze cruise and getting my heels caught in a, you know, caught between the slats of the dock, <laughs> trying to get onto the boat, that kind of cured me of my love for high heels. So in some ways, I think it, it was, it's more about comfort mm -hmm. and you know, it way more about just and and about the and, and empowerment, like actually being able to breathe that that really was appealing to me. So it's funny, I was not at all expecting to go down this rabbit hole or talk about, you know, in terms of preferences, like, but when you asked the question, I was like, Oh, yeah, when I was younger, I was really, really, really into just the beauty, the look, the, you know, the, the late sort of the late, the leather and the lace as it were. You know, um, 
when you said that just allowing yourself to breathe that touched me because that's how I am because I, I love to be comfortable I like even when it comes to the things that I do uh, purchase to you know make myself feel sexier make myself feel good it's always something that is loose fitting because I still feel free but I still feel sexy at the same time and I love lace clothing uh, <laughs> as well but like I don't uh, I'm I'm against underwear so like um, there's people who've reached out to me like oh do you wear a thong and stuff like that and I'm just like no because it seems so restricting it feels so restricting Um, restricting. it's like I want things that um, are loose Mm -hmm. things that are free things that are breezy because when I can feel air when I can take a breath I just feel here I I feel in the moment rather than um wearing something that's very tight fitting to fit like an illusion of sexiness yes I want to be sexy and feel sexy and look sexy to myself in a free way yes well and I think for me that when I was younger my sexuality and my sense of attractiveness and my sense of pleasure was very tied into the gaze of the other Mm. And so the idea of looking a certain way and being attractive, like I really got off on the gaze. And I think that as an empath, there is a way that we actually really do kind of get into this tape loop of feeling the other person's desire and and particularly their attraction towards us. And from that, being able to kind of like get that sort of contact high from them. Hmm. But what I discovered for myself was that, you know, and God forbid thongs. I mean, I I don't like the people who are so accustomed to them that they're more comfortable in them. I'm like, thank you. But I do not want a piece of dental floss (laughs) floss going up my butt crack. And, you know, but what I realized is that I would prefer to be physically comfortable and not distracted by the sensation of something like, you know, like a binding underwire or like Mm -hmm. a corset stay or, um, you know, like itchy lace or something like that. Because even though visually I might be able to kind of psych myself into this mental idea of how I look, I'm going to be really dissociated from my body and really distracted because I'm not fully like because there's a part of me that there's a lot of bandwidth that is getting used up by trying to ignore the discomfort. And, you know, as I became less uh, more invested in my sense of self and my pleasure being about what makes me tick what makes me happy what makes me me and less of am i attractive to this other person Mm. i think that the turn on of like a lot of really beautiful lingerie and you know and and like you know i i don't know if i'd say fetish wear but you know because we're not talking like ds fetish wear but more like just kind of like i said looking like i belonged in either a french or or you know brothel in new orleans from the turn of the last century i it it was very much more about the gaze and less about what was going on inside of my own body the holiloquy podcast focuses on the variability of sexual expression when it comes to sexual expression we often depend on pornography to illustrate how one must perform sexually 
For those who have not learned this by now, the stuff you see in porn is not real. Pornography provides a singular perspective of sexual expression that is not often the reality we see during our own sexual encounters. The Holiloquy Podcast is a conversation that takes you outside of the compressed box of what many know about sex. Some of the topics we discuss includes kinks, condom usage, status disclosure, and past sexual experiences. The Holiloquy Podcast steps out on sexual norms and recognizes that the norm is not the only normal. Subscribe today and join the conversation. About the gaze and less about what was going on inside of my own body. Mm. And, you know, one of the things we are going to go um, deeper into is the gaze, like the male yeah. gaze in general, well, specifically. But um, before we even get into that, um, I wonder how did the male, not necessarily the male gaze, but other people's gaze or other people's view of yourself impact the way that you found a partner, like uh, in terms of like your uh, preferences for a partner or something like that? I'm just breathing and thinking about this because I think so as a younger woman and especially like a teenage girl, I so I had I mean, I was I I was born. I'm at the tail end of the baby boom. Mm -hmm. And I was born at the time where, you know, all of the fathers were like, you know, go to work, come home, wife hands the paper and a martini to them. And they just sort of like they do their thing. And there wasn't a lot of expectation of the father to be engaging with their children. And on top of it, my dad had 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 um, uh, sustained a frontal lobe brain injury at the age of four, where he fell out of a moving car and cracked Ooh. his skull open. And when I think about it now as an adult and understanding neuroscience more now, I'm absolutely amazed at what my father was able to do. But being able to relate to a very, very chatty, very verbal, very high energy, very engaged, artistic, creative, empathic little girl was not on the top of his list like he, it was not it was not in his skill set and so I grew up with a father who didn't know how to engage with me and I I think about it now and what's I, I realized it's so sad to me because I related to pe to people verbally mostly which is why podcasting is like my dream because it just <laughs> makes me so happy to be able to connect with other people because pretty much most of us who are in podcasting like we love to talk mm. um but my dad was somebody who just could not be there like he just did not i mean he literally did not have the brain power to parse out conversation so by the time i was like 16 17 18 19 years old i desperately wanted to be seen to be noticed to be regarded um and i wanted and i wanted to be seen as beautiful like it was like that was one of the most important things to me so if I was getting even like a little inkling of attention, that was enough for me to be like, okay, you're it. And so I would say that I was not as interested in what was I looking for as what was biting, you know, like it was more about like who who would nibble on the bait 
not necessarily was this person really appropriate for me. Like I was just like, hey, if they're interested, if they're a breathing body, I'll go there. And I did have, I think about it, and I did have a, a if I, in terms of my own preferences, I definitely was attracted to beautiful looking people and especially like sort of um, very kind of uh, gender fluid males. Like I ended up in a number of relationships in my earlier days with um, with people who were a, ma, ma, pe, cisgendered male but who were much more gender fluid and went much more um, interested in sort of playing with um, and flexing the gender roles and everything. And so I would say there was, that was something that kind of like, I was like, oh, that person is like, I, I would go for the people who were aesthetically beautiful to me mm-hmm. because I'm also a visual artist and a photographer. So I would go, go for, if I had a choice of like two people paying attention to me and one was visually attractive and one was not so attractive, I'd go for the one that I thought was more attractive. And I definitely had a thing for sort of more um, gender fluid, uh, you know, like uh, sort of not necessarily tall, dark and handsome, but sort of like, um, you know, dark, brooding, mysterious and <laughs> um, and and somewhat and somewhat uh, gender queer. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking like in terms of because I'm thinking like culturally what that. I would describe that as because I want to say a little bit of the emo, but I'm not I'm not I don't want to say it's emo, but more more so like what when I was younger around four, not four, around eight, nine, ten, um, there was that term metrosexual. Yes. Yeah. Would it, that be no, actually, I mean, I was going for artists and musicians when I was younger. Oh. I was really going in for the artists and musicians. And and I was in art school. So my my pool was generally artists and musicians. Mm. Um, you know, my I just remembered my very first crush, which was um my very first crush was actually, I don't know if if, if this is way before your time, but there was a TV series called HR Puffin Stuff. And there was this actor, Jack Wilde, who was on it, um, who played uh, you know, who he was, I can't even remember what his character's name was, Jimmy. And he had this flute called Freddie the Flute. And it I mean the series was like so psychedelic and trippy and ridiculous. Like there was like one, you know, like HR Puffin stuff. Like, can you talk about a more obvious weed reference than that? But of course I was a small cut child, but I was really fascinated. I mean, I just had this mad crush on this guy, but if anybody knows who I'm talking about, he was also the artful Dodger in the, uh, in the Oliver Tri- twist series that came out in the 1960s. He was not an attractive person. <laughs> he was kind of like a toad, but I just thought he was just, I just thought he was the most beautiful, beautiful person when I was really little. So I I mean, who knows what makes us what makes us tick. But generally, for me, it was more of these kind of 
um, I don't know, you know, I guess like, what is that? The manic pixie dream girl or, you know, um, have you ever heard of that? Like the manic I have pixie not heard of that. Oh yeah. This is the term that was popular for a little while about the kind of like the sort of the, the manic pixie, like flaky girl. I guess I would say I kind of went for the manic pixie dream, dream, brooding, brooding musician, dream boy. Oh, uh, I definitely looked up a picture and he he reminds me of Alfalfa from The Little Rascals. Yes. And what's weird is that um, conversely, Al he does look a lot like Alfalfa. I never put those two together. And yet, ironically, I found Alfalfa really kind of repugnant. <laughs> Not at all attractive. Like there was something so distasteful about Alfalfa's personality. It was the hair. Yeah. That's it. Uh, I mean, the whole thing. I mean, oh, God. I mean, don't let's not even go down the little rascals rabbit hole because oh there's just so there was so much wrong about the little rascals so much yeah so much <laughs> oh gosh but okay i got i can see the appeal so yeah. no no judgment here i i do uh because i pulled up i'm like all through this man's stuff now mm -hmm. um google is very evasive <laughs> yeah. and i i see uh, a picture for i i guess when he might have been like teenager in the musical scene or acting yeah like, okay yes for the swoop yes for the bangs i'm like okay i get it uh well, and the bell and the bell bottoms and the groovy fringed vest i mean <laughs> <laughs> the appeal is there uh <laughs> well and at the same time you know that was pre and then you know then there was like you know i grew up in the time where it's like you had the partridge family and you had like tiger beat magazine and everything and so like the teen but like it was like David Cassidy, Sean Cassidy, Leif Garrett, um, you know, I uh, trying to think of oh, the Bee Gees, like Robin Gibb, you know, and and or um, what is the baby brother Gibb? Like, I don't know, Andy Gibb, I think it was anyway, just thinking about like, there was definitely sort of a, you know, all of the the dreamy rock stars that you're so, mm -hmm. or pop stars that you're supposed to find attractive. Mm, yeah. Yes. I think that's that's going that's like the generational, not even generational, cross generational tie that a, a lot of people um, deal with. Most definitely, when it comes to their preferences and who they find attractive, is that even though this is a generalization, but I personally feel as though most people really do have an attraction to musicians mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. um because one um not necessarily because they're famous but we see their faces so often in that familiarity uh and then um to be completely honest um the record industry does look for extremely attractive people when they do like hire someone so it was like of course i want to like date this person they're beautiful and they can yeah. sing to me whenever i'm feeling down um, don't judge me judge your mom and your daddy <laughs> well and i think you know there's two things that are coming to my mind one is like if you ever watched the brady if you ever were a fan of the brady bunch there was the time where um greg brady was going to become like a rock star and they were gonna they they were gonna turn him into johnny bravo and the whole joke about this was that the reason he it wasn't that he had any talent it was that he fit the suit and so they were like he visually fit the 
fit the description and they were going to build a whole persona around him. And so I think you're completely right on about the idea that the music industry looks for the look and then promotes it and builds it up. And I mean, it used to be like even, you know, like Millie Vanilli and other bands where you would have perfectly good musicians writing really wonderful music and then they would have skinnier, attractive models lip syncing the music because of the fact that they didn't, the, the musician themselves did not fit the visual thing. So I think you're so right on there. I would also say the other side of it, though, is that I think music touches something much deeper in us than the than a lot of other things do. And maybe part of the reason why so many people are attracted to and have crushes on and even like feel sexual attraction towards musicians is because musicians express feelings in a way that in a culture that does not acknowledge emotions a lot of the time and they evoke emotions within us. And so I think that they and and, you know, especially pop stars that were spoon fed, like I, I don't know whether as as ma if males are spoon fed female musicians quite to the same extent. But I mean, certainly you've got like, you know, like that whole kind of like sexy female musician. Mm -hmm. But with I think with girls, there's this entire pop culture thing of like these kind of like uh, very um, androgynous, very pretty, very um, like, like safe and, uh, you know, safe boys to fantasize or young men to fantasize about who are also singing about love and singing about romance and singing about all this stuff. So I really do think that we're kind of in some ways kind of um, brainwashed, <laughs> groomed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's a, that's an excellent point. And I agree with you 100%. Like, uh, and when you uh, mentioned like in terms of like what men see, and I think um, when I think on a broader um, broader scheme and not just like within the Black community and Black men, I think a lot of the visualizations that we receive in terms of musicians is about role modeling. Like, yes, you might have uh, uh, R&B artists, country singers, and uh, uh, individuals singing about the emotions of things, <clears throat> but that is not necessarily how we should treat a person, treat a partner, um, maybe how we can romance them in a sense, or, you know, put on a facade of romance. And then when it comes to um, the other things, we focus heavily on their lived experiences because this is what the man is supposed to do. This is what the man is supposed to be, be going out here to get money, working the jobs, doing this thing, that thing. It's pretty much building up that role of what you're supposed to do and what who you're supposed to be as a man by idolizing these um, these musicians. And then you have the female performers, which are those that idolize our attractions and what we're supposed to perceive as being beautiful, what we're supposed to make our preferences. And right. because the woman, the women are more likely singing something related to sex or romance and like 
catering to their partner is like, okay, that's what I'm supposed to expect from that. My woman um, partner, my female partner is that, oh, she's supposed to provide me with the sex. She's supposed to uh, cater to my needs. She's supposed to romance me, um, be my confidant and all these other things, because that's what her sing song role has projected all these years. Right. Well, and, you know, I started to realize a while back as I started to do a lot of sort of decolonizing from media and American culture or pop culture around what does it mean to be female? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be a human being outside Mm -hmm. of our gender identity? And looking at especially like misogyny and violence against women. um, And I started to realize that if you start listening to the lyrics, as well as watching most a lot of movies um, in our pop culture, there is so much like bad stalker energy that Mm. is in music like i find it really ironic like there's a song it's you know the um i think it's called the the band is the association or the group is the association i think it was the association but it's called cherish Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's like the classic wedding song they've got the the wedding bells ding dong ding dong and but the thing is the song goes cherish is the word i use to describe you know um like how I feel about you. But then there is the line, the chorus of it, which when I listened to it for the first time and heard, like I really, I read the lyrics, I went, oh my God, oh no, you didn't. Because what they are saying is, I don't know how many times I wish that I had, I could hold you. I don't know how many times I wish that I had told you. I don't know how many times I wish that I could fold you into someone who would cherish me as much as I cherish you. And I do. And the entire song is about a guy who's obsessed with a woman who is not that into him and how he just wants to basically mold her into somebody who would cherish him as much as he cherished her. And like, this is a song that was used in like, I mean, God only knows how many people used it as their like wedding song, like the song they danced to at the beginning of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's like, you start listening to a lot of lyrics and start watching a lot of movies. And one of the messages that especially I think as females, we are raised to look at is the idea of, you know, you're not that into him. You might not be all that attracted to him, but he's got spunk and he's interested in you and he's just not going to give up. And this idea that the man who um, pursues you, who chases you, who breaks down your, who breaks down your resistance, that that's the man who wins your heart. And I mean, even like the, you know, Hepburn and, you know, Hepburn and Tracy, I think, you know, Spencer Tracy and, and, um, Catherine Hepburn, you know, and, and like just these, these tropes of like, they don't get along. They, they, they don't, they don't like each other, but they fall in love. You know, the kind of like, I mean, it's still to this day, watch any Christmas special on Netflix. And it starts with the formula of she and he hate each other. And by the end of it, they're, they're in love with each other. And I, but I think that we get such, and then there's the whole thing of like the learning to be attracted to the bad boy Mm. you know because like oh he's just misunderstood and and yet and so we tolerate so much bad behavior but i also think we are groomed to um to like for a lot of stuff that is just so not good for us exactly 
Yeah. I, I agree 100%. For any person out there who is looking for them a bad boy, don't pursue any bad boy that is not in therapy. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make sure yeah. he's yeah. working on himself. Make sure that he's done his work. He's looked at his relationship <laughs> with his mama and his daddy. Yeah. And that he, and that he, uh, and that he's not making up excuses. And if he starts putting anything on, well, I did that because of you, run in the opposite direction. <laughs> not run. Yeah. But yeah, right. Like, yeah. oh, gaslighting is so, so, so prevalent. Oh, uh, gaslighting. Ugh. Yeah. We cannot, we, we're not going to go into that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You and I could do, like, you and I could do a series on gaslighting, I'm sure. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I, I did promise that we'll get back to well, all of this was essentially uh, related to the male gaze as well. In, in a exactly, way, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sort of feels like we're leading all of this up to, as well as we're talking about beauty standards, we're talking about cultural standards, we're talking about all of the. In some ways, I feel like what we're talking about is how we are groomed mm -hmm. um, as as people to believe all of these lies about what is what is sexy what is desirable what is wonderful you know and we haven't even talked about i mean we've talked about pop culture but we haven't even talked about porn which then adds a whole other level of this is what sexuality is oh my gosh you know that's one of the things that i am researching um because there's this um thing that I found when I was, you know, doing dissertation stuff uh, called sexual scripts. And I've been looking into that a lot deeper. And then that brought me into uh, thinking about how sexual scripts um, are shown through porn. Mm -hmm. And um, we do fall within certain roles because of the porn that we watch. Um, like when you think about how people might uh, express themselves sexually, uh, be it queer or heterosexual like you have a oh, one person has to be the female in the situation one person has to be the male even whenever you're going in uh within like a homosexual or uh queer engagement oh somebody has to be the female here and the other person has to be the male the idea than... that there has to be a top and a bottom like exactly i i, I, I I'm almost speechless here just because and and like, you know, and then you get these things like um, a lot of there's this whole sort of movement or phenomenon within kind of like the transformational entrepreneur, transformational coaching world, some of the transformational programs where there's this very, very strong idea of you know, women are most in their power when they are soft and receptive. Women are most in their power when they allow the male, they empower the man to be the decision maker and the strong person and the this and the that. And even stuff that I've run across, which is saying that if a woman is more gender fluid or if she's in a relationship where there is a great, you know, there's a balance of power. And I mean, I am, you know, on outside from outside appearances, I'm a cisgendered female married to a heterosexual male. And yet my marriage is really very gender fluid and very, our relationships and our roles are very much, are not defined by our gender as much as it's defined by like, what are you good at and what am I good at? Mm. 
And there's, you know, like, so for example, I'm a really good cook, not him, not so much. Um, although he didn't press me when we first worked, he was courting me and he made me a cherry pie for Valentine's Day, which to this day, you know, we're talking like, uh, um, it will be 23 years this Valentine's Day that he made me that cherry pie. And it's still like, it, I'm still impressed. But uh, <laughs> that was the best thing he ever cooked. Look, he got one good thing and I, I, yeah, I love it. Right <laughs> I there, love it. Yeah. But, you know, I cook. He does the laundry, you know, he does the laundry really well, but it's, it's fascinating how many, how many messages there are about the idea of adhering to these incredibly limited gender scripts with porn with, and then I don't know if you ever watched, um, uh, the, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie, Don John. It is so, if you have not watched it, seriously watch this movie i really want to recommend it is so the story is he's a porn addict his girlfriend is a romance addict and the and just watching the way that they have sex with each other watching the way that they engage with each other she's all fantasizing about the love and the romance and the way that he expresses his love for her is by buying her like the diamond tennis bracelet and he's all about like the big you know the big chest and you know the big hair and the faked orgasms and all of this and it's like they are not relating to each other at all um it is it is truly one of the most powerful effective and uh, honestly spectacular movies i've ever seen about uh, the way that females and males are groomed around our sexuality and um you know, JGL is just amazing, amazing, amazing. And it's Scarlett Johansson plays the girlfriend. And then Julianne Moore plays this woman who who um, Levitt connects with in the story and kind of discovers his true, you know, finds his own, actually finds his true sexuality and, and you know, and starts to have a real authentic relationship with her. But, you know, it just is so fascinating how we do find ourselves completely sucked into these artificial, arbitrary scripts mm. that are so not what makes that makes us truly happy. It's wild. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that movie. I have not seen it, but I remember when it came out and I really wanted to see it. And I did not go see it. So I thank you. I pull it I up. Mean, seriously, <laughs> like pull it up and watch this movie. Watch this movie. And, you know, it's funny. I've got sort of a collection of like, like I, I, I liked the movie. Um, um, what there was with Tim Robbins and Pink and uh, Mark Ruffalo. Thank you for sharing. I think, you know, that one is that one I think is good, but it's not nearly, it, you know, and that's about another person with a sex addiction. But I but it's not nearly as good as Don John because it just it's so accurate. It's just it's so it's so spectacularly accurate. I really, really, really appreciate it a lot. Oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. watch that. Yes. You know, the other movie I just want to make a mention to it that uh, is more about the female fantasy mm -hmm. is he's not that into you. Um, and I really, really love that movie because while men are being culture, you know, men are sort of like, I think 
And I know that this is not true for absolutely everybody, but I think for at least for me and my generation, there, there were a lot of women who, if we were watching porn, it was more about like receiving a script or a role of what it looks like to be a female who's experiencing pleasure and being aroused by it and not necessarily like watching it even for our own pleasure, as much as it's kind of engaging in this sort of like, this is what sexuality looks like. But I think that for females, it's the romance novels, it's the fantasy of the gifts that they buy, it's the idea that he's going to sweep you off your feet, um, but also kind of the like ridiculous kind of um, anxiety that comes up about, will he call me back? Is he into mm. me? Does he want to be in a relationship with me? And I really, really loved He's Not That Into You with Jennifer God um, Goodwin and um, oh, Justin Long as the two sort of lead characters. Because again, it is this, it really portrays the, I mean, the the anguish and the insanity that we put ourselves through in relationships. And even also like they, they articulate like one of, they literally say the thing, like so many women are taught, like, you know, when a man is, when, you know, like with little girls, we are socialized and groomed with this message of if a male is teasing you, if a male mm. is harassing you, if a male is bothering you, I guarantee you, like I, I was taught this. I, I don't, I can't even count the number of times I was told, oh, that's because he likes you. Mm. And I, I mean, I'd like to all of the listeners right now, all of the female listeners, it's like, you know, hands up, like how many times were you being harassed by a little boy? And instead of having somebody say, well, then, you know, like tell him to go F himself and tell him to cut the shit. Um, I hope it's okay to swear here. Oh, of course. Um, Sorry, Donna. Okay. You, okay. <laughs> yeah. you know, but like, Instead of saying, basically telling him to step off, it's like the message that we are as females are given from an incredibly early age is, oh, that's because he likes you. He's harassing you. He's, he's, you mm -hmm. know, he's sticking your pigtail in an inkwell. Oh, that's because he must really like you. And, you know, and talk about like a cultural message that really just screws us up royally. If we are taught from the age of three, four, five, six years old on that the that the the cue that a male is interested in us or if you know or even like anybody is interested in, a, in us that they're going to harass us and um and 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 like be mean to us and tease us and do all kinds of stuff like that i mean talk about a setup for like rape culture and domestic violence you know exactly yeah. you know, and uh i was literally leaving the note to actually bring the, this conversation back up in our next episode, since it is dealing with that, because I I, I will argue that we really are um, both. Well, all genders are socialized to enable violence against women, um, to allow people to treat us unfairly. Like mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend um, yesterday uh, who was like, "Oh, I, I I don't want to complain," or um, "There's always somebody who has it worse." And I was like, "No, you have the right." to complain yes somebody else does have it worse but that does not mean that you cannot express what is actually bothering you because that same person like if you want to go out and find the person who's having it worse so that they can let you know everything that's going on with yourself so you can have the comfort and then <laughs> you can tell them what's going on in your life on your life feel free but at the end of the day you still can express what's bothering it is perfectly well, it fine to do that 
It is perfectly fine to do that. And it's, you know, we do, there's no such thing as like the trauma Olympics. And, you know, and yet we live in a culture where there is so much, like I literally have seen people dismiss other people's grief and misery because they feel that theirs is theirs trumps the other person's and so there's the one side of us being like well i'm not really worthy of grieving because you know i only like i only uh lost my job my house didn't burn burn to the ground and i didn't get cancer and yada 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 or um or oh i'm not allowed to complain about this this experience because you know, my boss made a pass at me and was sexually harassing me, but I wasn't raped in the street five times. Mm. You know, like we have so many ways that we we invalidate our own misery, but we also invalidate other people's misery and dismiss it and everything. But, you know, last time I checked, nobody was getting gold medals, you know, <laughs> like there really was no, there was no, there's no trauma Olympics. And as an EFT practitioner, as somebody who works with people on just being present with what's true for us, it's like sometimes like, just like your grief is your grief. Your fear is your fear. Your wounds are your wounds. It doesn't matter how you got them. If they are there, you deserve to acknowledge them. That's a word. And I agree 100%. Um, now, we're getting close to the end of this episode, but there's one more thing that I want wanted to discuss before uh, I do at least one never have I ever question and closes out. Um, it's, it's the concept of how empaths um, can be like influenced by the desires of others. We uh, wow. talked about that in our uh, intake meeting. What what knowledge would you like to uh, bestow upon the listeners? So first off, in my experience as empaths, we are sensitive. If you identify or recognize that you are an empath, and let me just define the word. So for me, an empath is a being, doesn't have to be a human. It could be a dog, could be a cat. It could be any, you know, any living creature. But an empath is a being who picks up the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, and the sensations from the world around them and feels, but unlike people who are just sort of have extrasensory perception or psychic awareness where they might be sensing it, but they understand that it's coming from outside of them. What I distinguish the difference between an empath and a person who's just sensitive and open to feeling or to knowing what's going on in the world is that empaths process the information through their own filters. And so the challenge is that you might have the experience of coming into an experience, you know, an encounter with another human being. And maybe on first glance, you're not that attracted to them. Like you're just not that into them, that it doesn't feel that in, you know, it, it's sort of like, eh, maybe not. But then as you're in the presence of them and they are attracted to you, all of a sudden you start feeling their desire. And that starts to be, but because of the way empaths pick things up and experience it through their own filters, suddenly what's their desire becomes your desire. And this is one of the reasons why as I got older, I actually started to pump the brakes in terms of going after relationships. Because when I was younger, I mean, 
Like it took no time whatsoever for me to be in a physically intimate relationship because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be a prude. I didn't want to be, you know, like one of those kinds of people. So, <laughs> so I was very inclined to be very uh, sexually progressive, very, very early. But what I've personally found is that sex is intoxicating. And if you do not know what you think about somebody Sex will not help you to know that. If anything, mm. it will actually distort your perception of reality more. And it will, because once you have sex with somebody, in my experience, you become invested in the outcome of the situation. I mean, maybe if you're just going for a completely casual one night stand hookup, you know, that's not going to be the case. Like, and if that works for you and, and, you know, and you can do that without any strings attached and without any consequences, like seriously, knock yourself out. I am, <laughs> you know, in my personal experience, just being really clear about the agenda and about what I am doing, like there, some of the best hookups I've had have been ones where we both been really clear and just been like, I am not looking for anything. And I was the one who said, I'm not looking for anything, no strings, nothing, you know, let's just hook up. And they were just fun. But you know, the challenge is that I think a lot of times we're not that clear about what we're looking for and we do hook up and then maybe one of the people is thinking that it is just a one night stand. The other person may be thinking, oh, what is this going to turn into once the sexual, you know, once sex becomes part of the equation as empaths, especially we really lose the plot. It can be very, very hard to discern what's going on. Mm -hmm. So what I personally have started to do is to, or decided to do back in my courting days was that I was going to give myself more time and that I was just going to take time like to just watch and observe and really cultivate the question of am I into this person? Like, and I think I was saying this too, when we did our pre-interview of just like, you know, the Janet Jackson song, what have you done for me lately? That that kind of became kind of the theme energy of what I wanted to cultivate anytime I was pursuing a relationship with somebody was really like, what is what have they done for me lately? Because as empaths, we also very frequently are thinking about what can we do for them? How are we, you know, how are we making, are we meeting their needs? Are they feeling good? Because the thing about the empath is we feel better when other people feel better. We feel good when other people feel good. And it gets really confusing. What's our good and what's their good. And in my experience, taking your time to actually find out who that person is and not, you know, like notice, like if you in even something as simple as you're having a conversation, if you throw out a bid and you share a piece of information, do they ask you a question about you? Do they continue to, un, you know, engage with that question or engage with you about it? Or do they take it and turn it and it's all about them? You know, like, the, like, like, are they considerate of you? Are they asking you as many questions about you as you are as, as, as you are? Like, are they as interested? Are they as, do they want to know who you really are? Or is it totally about what, you know, are they like, even something like if all they're talking about is like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. You're so sexy. You're so this, you're so that. Are they really talking about who you are? Or are they or are they talking about their projection of what they see you as? Mm, a word. Oh, my God. Y'all better take that message. <laughs> take that message and yeah. take it home. So 
pump the brakes and listen to Janet Jackson's What Have You Done For Me Lately. <laughs> but like I I felt that because like even with uh, myself, like intentions are important. Like mm -hmm. uh, and I laid that foundation with people uh, at the beginning of things. I let them know, hey, this is what I'm looking for. I am open to things like this, but it all depends on the chemistry um, that I have with you on how far we can go. I need to it, even when it comes to something casual, I, I need to at least know something about you. Like, <laughs> if I don't know anything, then I'm just like, we're not going to hook up. We're not going to have sex or anything like that because I really don't know you. Right. Uh, and for any person who can do that, like you said, do you. And I love it for you. Um, seriously, I truly do. Um, but it's like, even... Like for me, I hate it when someone tells me that, oh, they just go um, go with the flow or it depends on the vibes or something like that. But I'm like, that doesn't that does not make me want to move forward with you. Like if going with the flow means that I will just go to a different river, like I'm just going to go to the other river, mm -hmm. a river that knows where it's leading to. Like if you yes. know that you're leading to the ocean, I'm going to join you. If you don't know what you're leading to, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to jump in this because I don't want to be going down a, a waterfall. <laughs> you didn't know that it was rocky before I even popped on. Exactly. Well, in knowing you know, I mean, it's like knowing what we want, knowing what bring what we desire and knowing what the other person desires, whether it is for a very temporary thing or for something much more long term. I, I just I really think it really helps when we know ourselves. And sometimes mm -hmm. the idea of, oh, I don't know, I'm just going to go with the flow is really more like, are you really just going like, are you just really going with the flow or are you waiting for cues from something else or somebody else? Are you just not sure what you want? Like it, I don't know. I'm a big fan of, of consent and I'm a big fan of, but I'm also a really big fan of communication and being mm -hmm. able to like clarify, like, where are you coming from? What are you doing? Why, you know, what are you looking for? I mean, when I met my husband, um, you know, we met online and we corresponded for a while, but within we had sort of a two part first conversation where like we talked on the phone, then I went out to dinner with some friends and then we talked again. And the first the, the first thing I said in part two of our conversation was I'm not looking to have kids. If you're interested in having kids, let's not even start the journey. And so many people wait on this kind of stuff like and, and they're afraid that if they're really honest, like I'm looking for marriage, I'm I'm looking for children. This is what I'm interested in. Or I'm not looking for children, but I am looking to settle down or I'm not looking to settle down and I'm not looking for kids or whatever that so often we avoid these conversations because we're afraid um, that we're going to sound too serious and we're going to scare them off. And my feeling is be upfront. Yes. You know, I've seen I've seen relationships be utterly blown to smithereens because one person wants kids and the other person doesn't. Exactly. Like, have these conversations, people. Have these conversations. Have these conversations. <laughs> They're important. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I'm just going to do this one Never Have I Ever, and then we're going to close things out. Sounds like so, a plan. Never Have I Ever Had Sex While Blindfolded. Um. Oh, my God. You just reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds like a yes. Okay, so um so yes i i'm pretty sure yes i have had sex while blindfolded i'm kind of like when was the last time i did that you know so but i have 
I have, I, okay, I'm going to full, conf- can I, sh- like, I full confession, full, completely. Oh, you good. Okay, <laughs> okay so 19-year-old art student, just got my first camera, really, really excited, and my, I was having this major issue with laundry. Yes, this has to do with sex. Um, and <laughs> I was I was going to art school at Cleveland Institute of Art, and there was also the Cleveland Institute of Music at the same place. And I happened to hook up with this violinist. And so I was with this like classically trained musician. And he was, you know, weird and quirky and kind of strangely emo and all of the things that I was attracted to and everything. And so he came back to my dorm room with me and there was like laundry everywhere. And so he took he 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 took me and he um he tied me up with laundry and he so I was on the floor and he took my camera. I was fully clothed and he tied me up and he threw laundry all over me. And then like and I'm getting all like excited, like, oh, my God, what is he going to do? This is going to be so exciting. This is going to be so fun. And then he proceeded to take pictures of me completely clothed, covered with my dirty laundry. Wow. Talk about not like now this was not it did not go in the direction that I wanted (laughs) to go in. It totally did not go in the direction I wanted to go in. And it was like, I mean, it was just, it was just such a funny situation because I'm all like, oh, this is going to be like, I was so young and so naive and so, and I didn't, and so completely incapable of communicating. Like I couldn't even be like, wait a second, time out. What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> like, like, no, this is not my idea of a good time. He's throwing dirty laundry on me. No, thank you very much. Stop taking pictures. But I was so just like gobsmacked by the whole thing and just like, and, but I was also like, really? really? Oh, no, you didn't. Like, did you just really do that? So that's what you just reminded me of with that question. I was so ready to go on this emotional, not emotional, but this roller coaster. Like, oh, snap, she's she done been kinky. Yes. And then it's just like, oh, this asshole just took pictures of me with dirty laundry. But I mean, the thing is, like, talk about kinky. I mean, it was like, I mean, I suppose that that is a kink, you know, like, <laughs> like in terms of in terms of like humiliating, obnoxious, like just all of that stuff. Like, I'm sure there were some people who would have gotten off on it, but I was True. not one of them. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> like me, yeah. if I feel like if I was in that situation, um, just be like, sir, you were invited for dick. How dare yeah. you? <laughs> like, How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we communicated. I, I, I'm, this luscious, I'm this luscious 19 year old. Like, what the hell are you, you doing? You not see this beauty in front of you? <laughs> what are you going to do with this? Come on. <laughs> Use the puss, okay? Use it. It is here to be used and appreciated. <laughs> and appreciated. Appreciated. <laughs> Oh yeah. god, I, I I have not um, been blindfolded yet, but I am definitely interested in trying that. You know, blindfolding. I mean, 
I've also had I've also had the experience of, you know, blindfolding within within sex is wonderful because it really does allow us to really tune into our own body and just be, you know, it's taking away one one additional distraction. But another thing, I have this I had this friend who was actually a lover of mine at one point who was he and I shared a love for fragrances, Ooh. like and especially essential oils. And we were both like he and I were upset like he he had as much of a level of, of of sort of fascination with sort of like perfume as I do. And he would do this thing where he would like do these smell symphonies where you would put on a blindfold and then like he would introduce you to all of these amazing smells and sometimes tastes as well. But it was like so sensuous and so wonderful. So you know, I mean, talk about a wonder and like, I mean, I'm sure it could have led, you know, and there were times where he would do it as like a group party where not a sex party, but just like a group party with us because we were part of the same, like, um, uh, part of the same musical community. And so it was like, we would, but we would have these like sensuous sensory experiences of like being blindfolded and smelling all of these amazing different smells like cardamom and like, 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 you know, peppercorns from the, from, from like the Caribbean and nutmeg and all of these or like, and pine needles and things like that. So I've, I've definitely experienced the very positive side of blindfolds as well as the not so positive side of blindfolds. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Now I, I'm just like, I love sense too. And my mind is racing. Um, anyways, that is the show. Okay. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> Jennifer, is there any last message that you would like to share with the audience before I close this out? Ah, take the space that you need to find out who you are, especially if you are highly sensitive and empathic, you deserve to know what, what makes your heart sing what makes your your toes curl and like it's okay to take the space and claim the time to find out what's your truth yes yes and we love a good toe cur uh, curl yes mm -mm -mm. yes who yes. yes. child all right <laughs> on that note thank you so much for coming on to the podcast jennifer i appreciate oh, you so much Vernon, it has been such a pleasure i knew i just have to say when on pod match you came across my thing it was like this completely goes against any like you know any of any any of my regular people who who are just like oh my god jennifer this is like not anything you usually talk about but i just i was like i really really wanted to be on your show and have this conversation oh. because you are doing such important work here oh don't make me cry oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay Whew. all right <laughs> i always get emotional when people give me props i need mm. to do better i love it though um just say thank you thank you that's thank the you. first step yeah <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much that's so thank wonderful you, so you made my day <laughs> <laughs> you really did <laughs> yeah uh to the listeners out there thank you all so much for listening to the whole little podcast where we step out and speak on sexuality just in case no one else told you this today you are beautiful you are worthy of happiness and joy you are enough and then some you may not live up to the expectations of others but that is okay you are only required to walk in your own shoes may each day you live lead you towards abundance with that said love you all and see you next episode bye 
Thank you for listening to the Holiloquy Podcast, where we step out and speak on sexuality. You can subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcasting app and find us on the web at www.holiloquy.com. That's www.h-e-a-u-x-l-i-l-o-q-u-y.com. Share the podcast with your friends and join the conversation.